everyone. Welcome to The Green Room, where we speak to entrepreneurs and thought leaders in fintech across Asia. I'm your host, Armita Veer. We are sponsored by the ASEAN Financial Innovation Network, or AFIN, Oxygen by Apex, and Open Banking Fintech Broncos. In this episode, I speak with Maha Shazad, founder and CEO of Buskaro, a mobility startup in Pakistan that is changing the way that commuters travel. Maha grew up between the U.S. and Pakistan and has worked in many well-known startups in Pakistan, including Food Panda, Kareem, and Swivel. Maha has seen firsthand the financial, accessibility, and security challenges faced by commuters, particularly women, and started Buskaro to solve them. Maha started Buskaro in August of 2022 and is already active in three cities across Pakistan. You can learn more about them by visiting buskaro.com. One caveat, this is not our typical green room episode focused on a fintech startup, but given my own background in mobility and Maha's inspiring story, I wanted to share the good work that she is doing, especially as we celebrate International Women's Day 2023. We added a few minutes at the end of the podcast to share about Maha's experience working and fundraising as a woman, and I'm happy to support her as part of Fintiket, a women-focused angel investing syndicate I recently founded. DM me or shoot me an email at fintiketangels at gmail.com if you want to learn more. And now a word from our sponsors. Hello everyone, my name is Manish Devan. I am the Managing Director for AFIN, which is ASEAN Financial Innovation Network. We run the very popular apixplatform.com, which is a collaboration platform to help financial institutions work together with a very vibrant ecosystem of fintechs from across the world. We now operate what we call as Oxygen by Apex, which is essentially a knowledge sharing platform. And we are very happy to collaborate with the Green Room. It's a great combination of what we do as a platform service provider and what the Green Room brings to you as a a knowledge sharing base. You can find out more about Apex on apexplatform.com. And you can find out more about Oxygen by logging into apexoxygen.com where you'll find a lot of great panels, keynotes, uh, masterclasses that we do from time to time and uh, look forward to seeing you there. Maha, welcome to the green room. We're really excited to have you here today. Thanks so much, Amrita. Really excited to be here chatting with you. So I want to talk a little bit about your early years growing up in the U.S. and Pakistan, all over the place. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, you're growing up and how some of those experiences maybe got you interested in working in tech, particularly on the mobility side? Absolutely. So, you know, I spent most of my life between Los Angeles and Karachi. Both of those cities had terrible, you know, public transportation options and and when I was growing up, in fact, when I was in college, I ended up dropping out simply because I couldn't get there. It would take like hours of my day to get to school and get back. And I was also working and putting myself through college. And so ultimately became impossible. I was later in Pakistan between 2013 and 2014. I worked here for a year and, you know, had a great job, paid well. But that paid well still meant that I spent pretty much 100% of what I earned on just commuting. It was actually very close to 100%. It was over 95% of my income, which was my my cost at the time of just getting to work and getting back. I still did it, obviously, because I knew I'll eventually get a raise and then another one and another one. 
but that's how you know that time sort of went down and, and in addition to that i was perpetually unsafe and it was just an absolute pain right and so there had to be a simpler way to sort of do this and then you know when when kareem was scaling in pakistan i eventually made the decision to move back and be a part of that journey and and since then everything i've done has been around the mobility space and tech got it thanks maha maybe for those of us who have never been to pakistan could you paint us a little picture of like what mobility is like there maybe before a lot of these mobility services came as you said you spent 100% or more of your paycheck on just getting to and from work so i mean look i think we talk about before you know there was any sort of mobility startup that came up so pre green pre uber which are the first two that we saw there was once a startup that was sort of attempted i remember in 2013 it was called easy taxi it didn't work but outside of that there's public buses which just in karachi which is a city i live in alone today the requirement for public buses is about 30000 that's the last estimate that came out more than 50% of just this particular city cannot be served by the public transportation infrastructure today right that's just the quantum or the lack of it that exists that's one but on top of that these are generally very short routes and so your first and last mile still needs to be covered which you then have to use private vehicles for and then in the private sector we used to have you know rickshaws primarily and taxis which really shouldn't be allowed on the road that's how old they were you know just poorly maintained and so on and so forth and so that's literally all there used to be you then had the kareems and ubers and so you had cars you know you had a bikeia and suddenly you had bikes which you know at least for for short distance commute and especially for men solve a lot of problems you eventually got you know the swivels and airlifts which were trying to solve a problem on a much more mass scale and not to service the top couple of percent then you know hopefully someday someone will include buskaro in this list but that's sort of been the transition but prior to that you know expensive didn't exist and extreme zero security right those are the three problems that i think everybody since has been trying to solve for Yeah, yeah, that's great. And I think we see that in many markets. I mean, I I spent a lot of my time for my current job in Bangladesh and I think the transportation there seems quite similar to what you've described in Pakistan. Of course, I worked at Grab before and I think mobility across Southeast Asia as well, you know, in addition to the broader Asia has been quite similar before a lot of these tech mobility companies have come in to solve some of these problems. And it's amazing that you've been part of so many of those stories maha i actually want to ask you next you know you started working at food panda in pakistan that was your first stint and then i think more recently kareem and swivel can you talk us through like your roles at each of those companies and those transitions and what you've learned from from each of those experiences yeah absolutely so i think you know food panda was started back in 2013 and i think just the problems we had back then were so different we were on 2G internet i remember and we were trying to figure out a way for people to go online and and make orders right we had to go on the supply front and go and talk to restaurants and say hey there's just miraculously going to be an order that's going to appear most people thought we were scamming them and that's sort of where we started to get talent in at that time was an impossible task you know kids out of college would even apply and be interested their parents would literally not let them work for a startup you know and everybody sort of wanted to go to more structured company putting teams together at the time i think that was a huge challenge for us as well and then you know 3g came along which was a really big deal at the time 
And, you know, Food Panda got its first few big restaurants in and then things started to move. But I think just very difficult early on. By the time, you know, the other startups that I worked for came along, I think we had functional internet. And so I think that also sort of changed the game. I think when Kareem first started in Pakistan, nobody could imagine that somebody would go and sit in a car with a stranger, right? But it happened. And that, you know, didn't just mean that people can now commute and they're safe. But I think, especially with most female users that I've spoken to at, at Kareem, at Baskaro, at Swivel, I think it's independence that this brought them, right? They were no longer relying on anyone for anything that they had to do. And I think that's what was really special about it. And then we were at Swivel, where we saw, you know, pre-pandemic, we saw having to compete with airlift. And, you know, we then went into a pandemic where for transportation business, what are you really doing? Nobody's going anywhere, right? We've seen those times and then we've sort of built up again from there. And then unfortunately, Swivel shut down in Pakistan, which is how Baskaro was was ultimately born in the summer. Yeah. Amazing. Maha. I mean, you've really seen like the evolution of the entire industry. It's funny that you mentioned, you know, having stable Wi-Fi being like a critical moment, especially because for our listeners, before we started recording, we had some Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi struggles. But I do also want to talk about Buscaro, of course. You clearly had a ton of experience working on different pieces of the mobility puzzle. And I have to know, I know when we first spoke, you talked about, you know, your time at Swivel and you almost immediately started Buscaro after leaving Swivel. Can you talk a little bit about that motivation? What made you want to also jump from being a, you know, an operator who has a ton of experience in like growth, expansion and building businesses to actually starting something yourself? I think the beautiful thing about working for startups is that everybody always feels like a founder. And so I have never for a second not thought that it's a business where I'm a founder. Like, I think it's always felt like that. I now realize it wasn't the case, but that's how that sort of felt, right? Swivel, at least Swivel Pakistan for me was just my own, right? And and when that was shutting down, it was extremely upsetting. I thought we'd done great work. And I thought we were on track to achieve everything that, you know, we came out here to do. And I fought very hard to keep Swivel's Pakistan business at the time going. And that's something that we took up. But it was the public company at this point. And so, you know, none of us really could make that decision. And a few weeks into when that was supposed to happen, I was told that it's just, you know, not an option. And so I exited. And I remember on that day alone, just my personal LinkedIn had close to a thousand messages. These either came in from women who use Swivel or they came in from, you know, fathers of young daughters who were using this to go to school. And I just got these messages saying, you know, don't take that away from us. And I thought something had to be done. I also realized that mobility is not the sexiest business in the world anymore. And it wasn't about becoming a founder. I think it was about doing what I do, which is try to solve for mobility. And the only way that I could do that anymore is if I started something myself. And so I think I just had to take that ownership. And I realized fundraising is not happening. Globally, things are ugly. Pakistan, when you're raising poor, it's even more difficult. And when you say the word mobility, nobody wants to call you back. And so we literally just ended up, you know, bootstrapping the business. It ran out of my personal account for a few months. 
we built our pilot and then we went out to raise funds and, and scale from there on. And so it's been, it was an interesting, you know, 2022 for us. Yeah. Wow. It sounds like an incredible story. And Maha, I can, I can see that like you really have this like drive to solve problems. And I think particularly solving problems that are close to home, right? Maybe before, before I kind of ask you a little bit more about the customers and the business model, I do want to ask maybe for some of the listeners who may not be aware of like what was happening. There was a little bit of drama happening between Swivel and Airlift, the two mobility leaders in Pakistan at the time. Can you share a little bit about what was going on and the reasoning behind shutting down Swivel? Yeah, absolutely. So I think when there's two players in anything, in good times, there's always a lot of drama, right? I mean, prior to that, there was Uber and Green, then there was Swivel and Airlift. And I think the founder for Swivel, Mustafa, he previously spent some time in Pakistan, right? And so for him, Egypt and Pakistan were both sort of his homes. And so this was a market super close to his heart. Airlift was obviously started by two Pakistanis. And so this was their main market. And I think everybody just fought really hard to try and, you know, win it over, which when there's a lot of cash in the bank means subsidies, right? Which then I think got taken a little bit too far. You know, so I think both companies overpaid supply by about 3x. I think customers were paying about 10% of what they should have been paying at some points, you know, 25% at others. And I think that also then means that when you do try to increase prices and you try to bring unit economics in place, the user base is also not able to sort of shift over, right? Because they never actually had the propensity to pay in the first place. And so I think that's sort of a vicious cycle that was created which happens, you know, these aren't the only two companies who've done this. And I think then there was the pandemic and Airlift at the time chose to pivot into a different business model. Swivel carried on, you know, we came a very long way in terms of getting all of this back in place. And I think, you know, Swivel grew exponentially over the last year that existed. And simultaneously, the unit economics kept on improving. It was on track to be profitable in 2023. And then unfortunately, just things changed very rapidly all over the world. And Swivel and the rest of us ended up being a little bit of a price for that. And I think fundraising just became a lot more difficult. We didn't have the kind of time that was needed to to get to that profitability. I think if you look at any company all over the world, it's taken seven, eight years. Bear in mind, Swivel didn't exist for even half of that, right, in most of its markets. And so I think there was a lot of pressure to get somewhere very quickly. And it just couldn't couldn't happen. Yeah, yeah, it makes a lot of sense, Maha. And I was at Grab a little bit after the time that both Uber and Grab were in Singapore fighting for market share. And I think it's a very different story when there are two big players in the market than when there's one. I, I appreciate you sharing that that perspective with us. I know it may not be easy to talk about. So yeah, I really appreciate you sharing. And it's clearly driven you to start Buscaro, which I do want to spend more time talking about now and, and its incredible potential. We talked a little bit about, you know, a lot of the motivation behind Buscaro, starting Buscaro being a lot of these women who needed safe transportation. Who are some of the other customers that you're really focused on serving? And you talked a little bit about some of their options today, but are there any, is there any other service in in Pakistan that would sort of cater to particularly commuters as customers? So I think there's different services at different price points, right? There's ride hailing, obviously, which is 
the most expensive form of commute that you can get if you're trying to get somewhere, which is there. Then there is your private market that has rickshaws. And it also has vehicles like ours, but they're run by a private individual who tries to get a couple of customers on subscriptions and, and take people around. And then there's bikes and there's public transportation, right? That's sort of the spectrum that's there. From a price point standpoint, we're about, we cost about 25% of getting a car. And then we're about a third the price of getting a rickshaw, which obviously has no security elements either. And then that's sort of where we stand, right? And then with public buses, they're much cheaper, but there's very few of them and there's severe security issues, right? In all surveys that I've ever seen, about 95% of women who have ever been on a public bus claim to have been sexually harassed. So that's what we're looking at. That's heartbreaking. And then it is. It is. It's, it is what it is, unfortunately. That paints like a really like stark picture of like the situation and the options that are out there. How is Busco solving this? So we're doing a couple of things, right? I think because we're using high capacity vehicles, what we're able to do is we're just naturally much cheaper than most other options that are out there, right? The only thing that we can end up being more expensive then is a bike, which rules out all women, still a dabu in Pakistan, and which rules out anybody who's traveling a long distance. We spoke about public buses and the problem with that alone. So we're out there trying to make sure that people can commute in an affordable way. And we work very hard on ensuring their security, right? So we work with a security agency. We do captain verifications. We do inspections on the buses. We have, you know, security teams that are deployed on ground. So there's emergency teams present in case there's ever an issue. From a product standpoint, one of the first things that we ended up doing, and I think it's just because I was, you know, a woman trying to be very specifically solving that problem is anyone can have an alias. You have gall masking from like literally the first pilot that we've done in Buscaro. So we're ensuring that nobody's information is going out and so on and so forth. So those are the kind of things that we're doing today. We work very hard on, on ensuring safety and then making sure we can do that at an affordable price. What we're also doing on top of that is working with a lot of corporates. And so we use that to then further drive down the prices for end consumers. And so eventually the goal is to be able to serve more and more people at different price points through bringing in corporate subsidies. So that's something that we've actively started to do as well. Yeah, that's a great, it sounds like a great model, a really smart way to scale using B2B to C or B2B to scale is a really smart way of, of getting to market. How is the end user actually experiencing bus growth? How do they actually get access to, to the buses, the commuting buses? It would be through an app for the end consumer that could look different. So this could be a user who just wants to make one booking and they can go on the app and just search their routes and do that. This could be generally most of our users end up being subscription users and they use us twice a day. So to go to work and come back or to go to school and come back. That's generally most of the use cases. And so they'll go in, they'll make their bookings, they'll pre-book, and then they'll track where the vehicle is, what time it's arriving, and so on and so forth. And Ma, make sure I understand this correctly. It's a bus that it's not necessarily on demand. It's scheduled for a particular time of day or scheduled in advance. And then can, people can take that you know, on a regular basis or a one-off. We run fixed schedules. We're not on demand. We capture data and requests that we get for particular routes and we keep adding more buses in. But essentially, 
based on whatever data we have for when people travel from a certain point to another one and the existing demand that we have, we build routes and then people can book on those particular rides. Got it. Got it. Does Buscrow actually have its own fleet of buses or how do you make sure that you are efficient when it comes to like managing your assets? We don't have any of our own assets. So the fleet is not ours. There is a lot of these vehicles available in Pakistan, which depending on what city we're talking about, were being used by individuals who were either, you know, taking people on trips during tourism months, which would be up north. Or in the case of Sacred Archie, a lot of these people were running their own mini bus girl, where it's one guy with one bus, he finds four customers and he takes them around. Through the use of technology, obviously, what we're able to do is bring down those prices significantly for the customer and end up getting the individual who's driving more money simply through having far higher utilizations. So if it's one man running it, obviously, he can't acquire users very efficiently. So he only has X number of users. And so we basically double down on that in simple words. And so he makes a little bit more and the customer pays a lot less. That's fascinating. I really, I love a lot of these business models that take things that are happening offline, right? In a, in a more informal way and actually make them online. And I think a lot of what, what some of the mobility companies have missed in the past is these kind of like, public, semi-private bus systems that are already working, but their network is only, you know, their informal community or like word of mouth. And I think it's so smart to really digitize that using an app, expanding everybody's networks. And so I think the point around, okay, you're not actually buying buses. You're actually taking people who already have buses and their informal offline networks and bringing it online and monetizing it in like an efficient and scalable way is is really fascinating. Ma, I want to also ask you about the your expansion plans. I think right now you started in one city in Pakistan and are thinking about rolling out across Pakistan. You've obviously had great experience scaling businesses across the country. How are you thinking about, you know, for for Busgro, um, which is your own company now, how are you thinking about expanding across the country and potentially even beyond? So we're actually not in one city. We're in three cities now. Three cities. Um, we're in- oh, goodness. We're in- <laughs> We're operating in all three major cities. Bus girls grown to do about 13,000 daily bookings now, which is something we've managed to scale up in a couple of months. And it's been incredible. And we're doing B2C only in Karachi right now. So we haven't launched that in the other cities, but we are doing B2B and we are bringing in B2B2C accounts in Lahore and Islamabad as well. And then ultimately later this year, want to start launching you know, the pure B2C channels there as well. Got it. That's super exciting. In thinking about further growth plans, I would love to know if there's anything cooking. What's the future future for Bus Grow? You know, once you get to that vision of launching mobility and buses all across all across Pakistan. So I think I, I think that's a couple of questions. I think the first one was global expansion plans. For us right now, I think Pakistan is an absolutely enormous market that we want to be laser focused on solving for want to do that both from a growth perspective and doing that in the most efficient way possible. And I think that's what we're laser focused on in the next 12 to 18 months, grab this market and get to profitability. And I think at that point, of course, fingers crossed that we get there, we would like to start launching other markets. I think a lot of the problems that we've discussed in terms of why I actually ended up doing this apply to absolutely any market in the world. And so there's 
you know, plenty of opportunities in, in other markets, especially emerging markets that I think we'd, we'd eventually like to attempt to solve for as well. And then your question was about fintech. I think any business that has a high number of sort of female users, I think automatically becomes a great place to start making a play for fintech. And so I think that would be a natural transition for, for any of the businesses that we've discussed, but not in the cards today. Yeah, makes sense. Makes a lot of sense, Maha. And I think to your first point around like global expansion, you know, we said at the beginning, a lot of the mobility problems that you're you're solving in Pakistan actually apply to many places in the world. And yes, there are many companies that are working on it, but I think the particular focus on women and solving a lot of women's problems is a really unique perspective that, you know, not not everyone is as focused on. And then of course the fintech play. I'm always a big fan of the fintech play, especially when you have such great customer data and access to you know their financial life their digital life through their smartphones i think it's always an amazing way to continue to serve that customer base that can often be underserved Maha, we have a few minutes left so i kind of want to zoom out a little bit and talk more broadly about the mobility and tech landscape in pakistan but investors when they look at they look at pakistan at least the ones that i've talked to including the one that connected us hi west they see that there's huge opportunity certainly in terms of market size do you agree with this hype? And, you know, are there particular verticals in your opinion? Are there sectors that you think could like really drive progress? I absolutely do. I think there's a huge market size for most of the businesses that you'll look at that are operating in the tech sector today, right? I think people forget that we're really new, right? Pakistan hasn't had, you know, local homegrown startups starting to show up until a few years ago. We used to have one bikey, I remember, that I can think of like pre-2019. And then, you know, all of a sudden things started to change and, and you had a lot of new businesses come in. These are all a year, two years, three years, four years old, right? And so I think all of a sudden, as, as times have gotten tougher, the expectation of Pakistani startups is that we've all exited. But if you even look in India, that's not how that happened, right? It took a lot more years and then you saw one after another. And I think Pakistan needs to be given that time to get there. There is, of course, you know, there is devaluation, there is inflation. But while everybody's, I think, talking about inflation in Pakistan today, I think that applies to pretty much the entire world at this point. And so I think that's something that needs to be considered. I think we've had, I think it just has to be, you know, sort of given more time. I think it also because we're all very new at this. I think that, you know, there's a lot of mistakes that have been made and people are learning, right? And you're you're getting better and better. And I think the quality of founders is improving, the, the types of teams that they're building is improving. I think the quality of investors is improving. And I think we're headed in the right direction. I think smack in the middle of this, there's 2023 and 2022, which has been tough for, I think, anyone anywhere in the world in tech. But I think with Pakistan, with most of the businesses still being so new, I think the expectations are just very high very quickly. But I think it'll get there. I think the market size is absolutely there. You know, the investor that that connected us, Wes, he he backed me at, at possibly the weirdest time to be backing a mobility business in Pakistan. But I think, you know, the market size was is just huge. And I think What's happening now is I think everybody's sort of gone back to the drawing board and is learning how to build differently. And I think we'll start to see that over the next 12 to 18 months. And that's sort of my take on it. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think wow, that's really interesting. Like, again, like I, I talk about evolution a lot of the landscape, but it is like an evolution of especially like homegrown founders learning from good and bad examples, you know, that have come into the market that are maybe foreign founded and then relearning how to apply that to the local market, I think is really fascinating. And I think, you know, you're clearly doing that with Buscaro and it'll be really exciting to see, you know, the next generation of founders and unicorns that, that come out of this. But yeah, I agree with you. We have to give it a few years. Do you think that there are things that tech companies or policymakers or even investors can do? Well, investors besides investing, <laughs> if there's anything that some of these other stakeholders can do to, to push this progress along. I think to start with just the speed at which, you know, legislation moves in Pakistan, I think there can be a whole lot more agility there, right? I think things have changed so quickly that, you know, policymakers haven't entirely caught up at that same sort of speed. I think there's just a lot of support that we could we could get on that front. I think outside of legislation, I think just having better support in terms of more favorable policies to start businesses, right? Or to invest in Pakistan or to work for a startup. I think those are all things that Pakistan hasn't really worked towards. And I think it's it's about time that we do. And I think that's the primary support that I think is is really needed today. Yeah. Yeah. I think we sometimes, those of us working in tech, sometimes underestimate the role that governments can play in really pushing forward innovation and bringing founders and good ideas to a certain market. I see that a lot in Singapore. Singapore is like very tech forward, or at least it thinks it is sometimes. And I think it's done a lot for the startup ecosystem. And yeah, having like a real like innovation agenda I do feel like is is really key. And so excited to see uh, as the startup ecosystem in Pakistan grows, how the government hopefully supports that. And I think if I speak about our business in particular, I think, you know, public transport is has historically been something that governments have solved for, right? Which now you see the private sector taking on. And I think that one, you know, there's a reason to support that. And then two, I think in terms of, the inefficiencies that that exist when this is run by the public sector, I think just in sort of bridging that gap, I think there's a lot of public private partnerships that can take place, right? At least for our business, that help everybody's cause. And so I think those are the things that that I hope to see as working to parts. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, you hit the nail on the head, right? Public private partnerships, solving for an area, doing something very efficiently that I think governments have historically tried to do. Uh, it's always a little puzzling to me, like how how come governments have so many have run public transportation systems in so many markets when there are a lot of private sector players that are doing it like very well, like that makes total sense to have a public private partnership. So yeah, wishing wishing that for for you and for Bus Omaha. I also think it makes a lot of sense in terms of like impact, right? The government is typically solving for having a positive impact on the general population, on the masses, particularly women and underserved groups. Maha, I think we're just about out of time. So last question for you. In in your opinion, what is the most exciting thing happening in the future of transportation? I mean, I feel like a lot of people talk about this future of self-driving cars, of flying cars, of, you know, zero emission cars or or buses. You know, in your view, what's the most exciting thing happening in, in mobility in Pakistan or the world? Yeah, so I think the answer to both those questions is very different, right? I was sitting on a panel the other day and and there were 
three people from, from, you know, first world countries and there was me and, and everybody of course was talking about blank horse. Right. And here I am sitting in Pakistan where, you know, even electric vehicles, it's a little bit early for us and we're not able to sort of get to that. Right. And we're still trying to solve for very basic. How do we get from point A to point B? And I think that's where we're at. Right. And so the answer is, is I think going to be very different. I think if I speak specifically for Pakistan right now, I think just electric vehicles, I think that's literally the next big thing for us. I think that's what we're hoping to move towards. And obviously that's a very different answer on a more global scale. Yeah, absolutely. But, but for us, if I can just see, you know, every bus, car, bike being an EV, I'd, I'd be a very happy girl. Yeah, amazing, amazing. And I think that's the right context setting, Maha. Like, yes, there are amazing things happening in some markets. You know, people are living in the future in California. <laughs> but yeah, when you're solving for Pakistan. One step at a time. Exactly, exactly. And I'm very excited to hopefully make a visit to Pakistan and ride in one of us grows electric vehicles in the near future. I Maha, would absolutely love that. We'd love to have you. We'd love to be there. Maha, thank you so much for your time today. This has been a super fun podcast. Again, a little off topic from what we usually do here, but thank you for sharing your story with us and we hope to see you again soon. Thank you so much, Amrita. Great talking to you. Thank you. Maha, one, one more question. I know we said last question, but I do want to ask you because this episode is going to come out on International Women's Day. And I think it's important to talk about issues that women founders face, especially when it comes to fundraising and being treated differently from men founders or men operators even. I do want to ask you about your experience. If you've had any noteworthy experiences that you'd like to share when it comes to being a woman founder and feeling tokenized, feeling treated differently. Yeah. Any thoughts? Yeah, I'm really, I'm going to take this a step further and and not just speak as a founder but like as an employee as somebody who just works for a living. And and while I think if I speak about Pakistan, things from my first job here today have come a very long way. It has been an interview question when getting a job as to like why do you even want to do this? You're a woman. This is not a woman's job. Those were clear-cut questions that I've always been asked, right? And when I started my career, I wouldn't get certain jobs just because they weren't for women. And by certain jobs, I mean ops, commercials, and sales, basically anything that's not brand. And I think today it's not happening in that sense. I think as a founder today, I'm still point blank asked by local investors sometimes if I'm married, if I have children, what will happen to the business if I'm married with children? who will look after it? And, you know, I turned around to one and I said, but aren't you married with children? Like, why should I take your money? Obviously you also have other priorities, but that's, I think the kind of thing that, that still gets questioned. And I think, especially because I'm a mobility founder, I think there is more of that bias because this is also conventionally an industry that no woman has been a part of. And so I see that at the same time, I think in other ways, there's just being tokenized, right? Where, you know, it's like, I have to be that, you know, I have to be a female founder. We don't hear of male founders. We just hear there's a founder, right? And so I feel like I'll still go up on a panel and they'll be like founder, 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 and female founder. Uh, and I think that, you know, slowly will change. I think everybody's also new learning. We haven't had a lot of female founders in Pakistan. And I think it's going to change. But I think it needs to change more, you know, in terms of 
I think before you become a founder, you worked for five to 10, 15, 20 years of your life. I think the start of that journey is where things really need to change. I think we need to stop interviewing women and questioning whether or not they can do a certain job because they're a woman, right? And then from there, give them the opportunities to grow, which aren't hindered because of that. And eventually you have enough female founders for it to not be a term anymore or something that's tokenized. And that being said, when I speak to the international community, honestly, I've spoken to a lot of investors. I've had zero bias, but on a local level, I think I still get some of that a little bit openly. It's almost fascinating. I think it almost drives me, but, but it's there. Yeah. Yeah. I totally hear you. And I think you're talking about it sounds like you're mostly talking about local local market investors, um, but it does happen globally. I mean, there we've all seen the numbers. 2% of VC funding goes to women founders, yet women founders tend to deliver outsized returns. So there is, there's clearly an arbitrage opportunity, which I am hopefully taking advantage of by supporting women founders through my angel investing syndicate, Findicate. And, but, but I think a lot of it is to really battle some of these challenges that Women founders uniquely face, women operators also uniquely face, but the question around like capability and then the tokenization that happens to say, oh, this is one woman here who is exceptional because she has happened to make it in a sea of men uh, is hopefully going to change. And I hope, I know that it's going to, it's going to take a lot more women like you, Maha, to be part of that journey. I also talk to a lot of women who want to be founders and talk themselves out of it. Because it can be really scary out there to put yourself out there and and face a lot of bias and discrimination. And I really hope that efforts, hopefully by investors and the entire like startup ecosystem community, will really start to change that. What what would be, I guess, if there's one thing that you could change about the way that women founders are treated, what would it be? We'd just be treated as the founder of what we do on the basis of what we accomplish every day and on the basis of what our experience was prior to that, it would just be that simple. And someday, I hope that it will be, you know, someday I'll just be Maha who built a great or a terrible startup and that'll be the end of that story, you know, and the fact that I'm a woman would not be mentioned. That being said, I think, you know, in today's day, i I think it might also be important to mention that there are certain female founders because I think that's bringing more women in. And I think that's making a lot more women comfortable with the idea of sort of taking up that responsibility. And so I think it might in some ways be important to mention this to other women today. But at the same time, I hope that we'll live in a world where it's just not a factor. Absolutely. I am also hoping for that future, Maha. Thank you very much for sharing your perspective. Thank you, Amrita. And now a word from our sponsors. Hello, my name is Todd Schweitzer. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Brancas. Brancas is a Southeast Asia-based open finance technology company. And we do several things. We work with banks and other financial institutions with a set of software solutions to help them launch open APIs and API products um, in a matter of weeks. And we also provide 
simplified APIs that enable any fintech or e-commerce or online business to instantly connect to financial services across Southeast Asia through a simple API. We operate in Indonesia, Philippines, Vietnam, Thailand, Singapore, and soon Bangladesh. And I'm very excited to participate in the Green Room and forward to supporting the Green Room podcast and also the broader Apex Oxygen initiatives. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Green Room with Amrita Veer. Listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe to get the latest updates. If you've enjoyed this podcast, we would really appreciate you leaving us five stars, a review, and passing us along to your friends. And if you know anyone who'd be a great guest or have any feedback, reach out to us at greenroomfintech at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Catch you later.